Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, today what I have the privilege of doing is sharing with you from my heart, uh, sharing with you a message that really has been in the works in me for the last couple years, but primarily in this last little season. And, um, and I have an, an opportunity to share with you experiences from my own life, how scriptures impacted me, how books and how reading and hearing other teachers teach through messages has impacted me. And um, I just want to say this, though, as I get started, uh, there's, this, there's this pressure um, to when you get up and to share and to speak to a room like this, to be the expert in the room. There's this idea of that, all right, if I'm going to talk about something that I need to be the expert, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I take very seriously what I do when I have an opportunity to look at scripture and I want to do my due diligence, but at the same time, I recognize and we all know that we are on a journey, that we have not arrived in following Jesus, Amen. We are on this continual journey of following him and going after him. And today what I get an opportunity to do is to invite you into the journey that I'm, I'm in. To invite you to take steps into where I'm heading and what I've been learning and God's been speaking to me. And uh, to share that with you. But uh, I, you know, I've thought about it a lot. And the best way I can think to describe where I'm at today to share with you is this, this meme that I saw a little while ago. Um, it's Paul's you know, verse in 1 Corinthians where it says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. And if this is Christ, okay, Paul's doing a pretty good job He's as, as this speedboat. And then here's me. <laughs> I, I feel, some, some days I feel like a, an iron held up to the background of the ocean just to look like I'm just trying to be like Jesus. And it feels like that sometimes. Sometimes we're like, hey, I'm really doing a good job of like, living like Jesus. And other days I feel like this. Um, and today is one of those days where I'm like, I'm sharing from this perspective of I haven't arrived, but I'm on a journey and I'm going to keep looking like Jesus until I get closer to that. Um, but would you go on a journey with me today as we get to talk about this? So kind of where I want to start today is, is in my own life. And, and I, I've never really considered myself to be an anxious person. Uh, I've never really considered myself to, to live that way. I've just, what it is really is that I have, uh, I'm very upbeat as a person. I'm incredibly positive. For those of you who, uh, you, you may have even experienced this, I can, I can tend to be a little bit overly positive and optimistic, okay? And some of you guys are eye-rolling at me already. Um, and uh, I want to keep everything in my life fun all the time. Like that's just the way life should be. Um, but we know that that's not true. And I've noticed that, the pace of life that I have wanted to live, the pace that I am running at, uh, has con continued to make me more and more anxious. I found that it, my experience is that I, I have grown in just this inner angst, is how, I, is how I've described it. There's just an inner angst beneath the surface that is growing in me in my pace of life. Seasons of busyness have turned into a lifestyle of hurry. And to, if I could be completely honest, the worst part about it is that I've become addicted to the accomplishment associated with the, with the hurried life. That continuing to keep doing things and checking things off and is, is become something that has made me feel important. It's made me feel that being busy has, has added to value in my life, making me feel like I'm an important person. And um, all this has continued to feed a lie that I can see myself believing back to my teen years that I simply am what I do. And which is great when I'm, when I'm doing things really well. And which is horrible whenever I'm not. And uh, we know it's a lie. We, we know that we're not what we do. That the scripture speaks that of who we are is rooted and founded in Jesus. Um, but we find ourselves in that spot where we believe that we are what we do. 
Um, early signs of burnout began to terrify me, and I hit my wall really in June of this last summer. And when I hit my wall, I essentially became, came to this awareness of just that I cannot keep running at the pace that I'm at, or, or it's going to, to destroy me. And uh, once I came to this awareness about myself, though, I, I began to, to notice that I am not alone in feeling busy. Uh, I think all of us are feeling busy by the pace of life, by our culture, by all these different things. And the craziest thing about it is that I don't even think it's just like, oh, if you're in this season of life, you're a busy person. Like, it's not just because I planted a church in a pandemic and I have two little boys under the age of four that I'm a busy person. It's that all of us find ourselves always in this pace of being rushed and being busy. And, um, I mean, in fact, most of us, if we're asked the question, how are you? We would respond with something along the lines of, hey, I'm good, I'm just busy. Research shows that this lifestyle of busyness that we see in our culture is taking its toll, that we see a direct connections to chronic stress leading to fatigue, sleep problems, chest pain, heart palpitations, headaches, and stomach problems. We see relationships strained because of a lifestyle of busyness. We see marriages that are, that are hurting because of just the pace. We see the lack of margin in, in relationships and with our kids to, to offer what's needed in a relationship because um, we're just so busy. We find that our work can struggle or our home struggle or something's going to give eventually whenever we hit that. And um, I remember talking about this and experiencing all this myself um, and talking about it with my wife, Abby, and just telling her about just describing this inner angst that I'm feeling. And my wife is just amazing. She is so wonderful and has this way of speaking exactly to the root of what's going on. She just is, she's so good at discerning what's happening. And, and I remember what she said to me in that, in that moment um, because she just simply said, honestly, I think you need to take a nap, is what she told me. <laughs> and the craziest part about it is that I fought her on it like crazy. I was like, she's like, you need to take a nap. And I was like, no, I'm going to go clean the garage, right? Uh, you need to take a nap. I'm going to go ride my bike. I'm going to run. I don't even run, but I'm going to go run, right? Like, it was like everything I could do, I was just fighting it. Uh, and it was in that same time that I was introduced to this teaching by, the, by this guy uh, named John Mark Comer. He's a pastor of Bridgetown Church in Portland. And he, 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 gave, he did this series on practicing the way, practicing the way of Jesus. And I'm a huge fan of the Mandalorian. So as soon as you said like the way, I was like drawn in. I was like, this is the way. Yeah, that's how I want to follow Jesus. Um, but what I encountered through this and encountered through this journey is that simply put, Jesus has a better way. Jesus has a better way of life, and um, he's inviting us into a better way. Amen? So I want to look at scripture today. I want to look at Matthew chapter 11 and kind of look at the invitation that Jesus has for us. Jesus has an invitation in Matthew 11 uh, that is just powerful and is, ex I think, exactly what the doctor ordered for so many of us. It says this in Matthew 11. It says, that, then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. I love the paraphrase in, in the message in the way that it reads because it's just, it's hit me over and over in the last couple years. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you, but keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. 
The call of Jesus is one that I want, right? I want the life that he offers. I want to live freely and lightly to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And here's what we have to understand to each of us, where however you walked in today, whatever your life looks like, Jesus extends to each of us an invitation to a different way of life. He's inviting you and saying, hey, wherever you've come from, wherever you've been, I want to invite you to a different way of life that I want to show you. Now, to really understand what this invitation means, I think that we need to understand the context of who Jesus really was and really what life was like in the early first century. So Jesus, who most of us would know him as the Son of God or the Messiah or the Savior of the world, in his day, people were coming to understand that about him, but most people would have known him as a rabbi. Actually, up to 60 times in in the Gospels, we see Jesus referred to as rabbi or teacher. That's what rabbi means, is teacher in Hebrew. And um, actually, in fact, Nicodemus, we see in John chapter 3, Nicodemus says, hey, you're a rabbi like I am. Um, But we know he was so much more. But rabbis were were experts of the Old Testament or the Bible of that day. And they would teach people the ways that God had taught them how to live. They would teach the ways of the law and teach them how to live in a way that honored God. And... um, And Jesus, we know him to be a rabbi, and we know that he had disciples. But disciples were not a new concept to Jesus. It's not like Jesus invented disciples. That that progression had been going on for a long time, and that it was common that rabbis had disciples. We see that it was actually, uh, if you understand it, and I want to explain it today, but really, discipleship was the height of Jewish education. It was the height of it. So uh, if you like history, you'll love this. If not, stay with me, because it's good. Um, But the progression of Jewish education looked a little something like this, that Jewish boys were given the opportunity to go to primary school where they would learn reading, writing, and basic math from the book or the Old Testament, the Bible of the day. And they would learn it and they would study it really through around the age of 12. And by the age of 12, most of them, most students would have the entire first five books of the Old Testament memorized. I don't have time to do it, but like, what? Then, at that point, most were done with school, okay? They would be done with school, and then they would join in uh, with the family business. They would work with their father, or they would do something to, to begin earning for their family. But the best of the best would then have the opportunity to continue their education into their teens. So as they would continue their education, they would continue studying the Old Testament, and, and, and they say that most students, by the time they finished in their late teen years, had memorized the entire Old Testament. Okay, sorry, I gotta keep going, but... What? Um, Then, most were done. But the best of the best of the best were then given an opportunity to continue their education by becoming a disciple of a rabbi. Now, essentially what was happening in this moment is that a rabbi would come and he would interview, like it's like you were interviewing for you know, an, an incredibly top elite program that you wanted to be a part of. And a rabbi would come and interview you and say, hey, uh, do you have what it takes to eventually become a rabbi someday? That's what they're essentially trying to figure out. Hey, I know that you've been gifted. I know that you're top of your class, but I want to know, do you have what it takes to do this yourself someday? And it's a really good picture of, of what, it, what it's supposed to look like. And Jesus, however, was not, did not approach discipleship, did not approach having his disciples the same way that they did. Actually, in fact, Jesus was brilliant. He was this young, very countercultural rabbi who didn't just teach the elite, those who had arrived, but he taught 
all that would come and listen. It says he was teaching the crowds, the crowds would come and listen. And he called people to come and be my disciple as an open invitation. Come and be my disciple. You didn't have to be elite. You didn't have to arrive. Actually, it says that, like, like I said, most only Jewish boys went to school. But Jesus was calling women to come and be his disciples. And he was saying that there is a different way that I'm showing you. And uh, I think that, honestly, I just want to pause there. That might be a word for some of you here today, that you feel like you have to arrive at a certain point before you can follow Jesus or before you can really go after him. And the invitation is open. The invitation is open to come and be a disciple. Um, But what you see frequently in Scripture is Jesus' invitation saying, come and follow me or come and be my disciple. Now, that word disciple in the Greek, if you translate it from the Greek, is the word mathetes. And mathetes is actually one of the words you see most often used in, in, in the New Testament to describe believers as a mathetes or a disciple. Uh, and this is the, what, it, what it means. It means follower or student. And I, I, I think that those are fine, but I think that those words have kind of created a, a picture in my mind that I don't think do justice really to what Jesus is inviting us into. The idea of a follower, I think, I think I honestly think about social media. I think that you can follow somebody, be involved, know what's going on in their lives, but not actually like, there's no like real give to that. I think student is fine because, I'm, but if I'm going to be honest, I was the student that sat in class and was not really absorbing a lecture, okay? Uh, and so, uh, so then you get to disciple, and my favorite word by far to describe mathetes is an apprentice. And I love the word apprentice because I think it totally reframes the way that we see our discipleship and our following of Jesus. Because Apprenticeship is something, a master-apprentice relationship is one that we get in our culture. We understand apprenticeship programs, an electrician's apprentice or a plumber's apprentice. And really, the goal of that is that you would be able to do what your master does someday. I was talking about this uh, this week with Ryan Hemsley, um, who plays electric guitar here on Sunday mornings. And if you know Ryan, uh, you know he's an incredible guitar player, Um, but uh, he's also a dentist. So another thing to blow your mind for the day. Um, So... So Ryan and I were talking and we were drawing this connection in this line between, you know, his progression through dental school to where he is now uh, in apprenticeship. And the idea that he was, he went to school. He had to do schooling and then he went to dental school. And there came a point in dental school where it went from learning about teeth, learning about how to give someone an injection, all of our favorite part, to the part where he eventually had to give somebody an injection in their mouth, right? And, uh, and he said, it's like, and you have to pretend like you know what you're doing. <laughs> and there comes a point in life where we go from learning to doing it ourselves. I love the idea of apprenticeship thinking like, the, the idea I think is kind of like in leadership of like, I do, you watch, I do, you help, um, you do, I, wa- I help, you do, I watch. Like there's a progression that we're going through in there. And I think it, it does a lot of help to help us to understand this idea of what it looks like to be a follower or a disciple of Jesus. The goal of an apprentice is to do what your master does. And Jesus' invitation is to come and be an apprentice to my way of life. So I wanna come back to that passage in Matthew chapter 11 and now read it again with this idea. It says in Matthew 11, it says, then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And he says, take my yoke upon you. We're gonna come back to that in just a second. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you, for I am humble and gentle at heart, and, I, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. 
Now that we've heard that before probably in scripture or in other things, but a yoke was just this wooden cross-joining piece that was used to join two animals. Um, and it's a consistent metaphor that we see in scripture. It's a consistently they're using this metaphor of joining. And uh, But another metaphor, another way that metaphor was used was a teacher's yoke or a rabbi's yoke. And it was essentially their way of interpreting scriptures, their way of teaching it and applying it to your life. And it was known as a teacher's or a rabbi's yoke. And uh, Jesus right here is saying, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy to bear and my burden I give you is light. And what he's doing in this moment is he's drawing a, a comparison, a comparison between the religious leaders of that day, which would have given a very rigorous and strict way, uh, a very strict yoke of the way of following the law and obeying God. And generally, it was pretty religiously oppressive that you're never enough, you're never arriving, you have to do more in order to, to get there. And they added all, there's all these additional laws that you don't see in the, in the first five books of the Bible, but that you, that you see that the Pharisees and all these were adding to this to really making it religiously oppressive. Um, and what happens is Jesus compares what, he, what they're saying to what he's saying. As I'm inviting you to come, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Now, to understand that, this is kind of where I went. I, I found this, uh, there's this book, uh, Dallas Willard's book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, and he writes a chapter called The Secret of the Easy Yoke. So as soon as I saw that, I was like instantly like, that's, I, I want to know what the secret is. So he says this, he says, the secret of the easy yoke involves living as he lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Li- uh, following in his steps cannot be equated with behaving as he did when he was on the spot. To live as Christ lived as to live as he did all his life. He goes further in this, in this chapter of explaining this idea by using the example of the way that, uh, that kids look up to an athlete that they really admire. So you think about you know, the, how if a kid looks up to a, to a certain athlete, they're going to try and imitate them, right? They're going to recreate their highlights out, out in the backyard or they're going to uh, buy their shoes or dress like they do. But you can't really equate like doing just the highlights, doing just those things with the same way that they got to where they are. For instance, a great example is that uh, young basketball players, for the most part, love Steph Curry, right? They love Steph Curry. He's one of the best shooters in the history of the game. And he has these ridiculous highlights where he's shooting four feet behind the line, right? And he's, and he's falling on the ground as he's doing it. And so as you watch this, it's like mesmerizing. He's so fun to watch. And then you're like, oh, I want to do that same thing. So what do you see kids doing? They're chucking it up from four feet behind the line. But we know Steph Curry didn't get to where he was by just shooting from all the way back here and eventually it just stuck. It came from years of hard work and discipline and working on his craft that got him to the point where he could then do what we're watching on TV. And I love that picture because it just creates this this idea. Uh, And I think really what Willard's point is in this quote is that if we want to experience the life of Jesus, then we have to first look at the lifestyle of Jesus. If we want to experience the life of Jesus, we have to look at the lifestyle that got him to that point. So today I want to look at a pattern in the life of Jesus. And when we look at the way of Jesus, we look at the lifestyle of Jesus, it'll take our entire lives to fully understand his lifestyle and how he lived. But I want to show you one piece of it, a pattern that I see in his life and and, and how we kind of see see this play out. So I want to show you several examples from the Gospels. Um, We've got uh, just... 
These first three where we see this pattern where before daybreak that Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place. Um, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. He went on the mountaintop to pray. Uh, it's, it's this pattern where Jesus keeps disappearing to go and get alone by himself. This first one is actually crazy uh, because in Mark chapter one, he's just called some of these disciples to come and follow him. It's like, I think that, that they were honestly probably following him for about a week and uh, then Jesus just out of nowhere disappears. And they're like, hey, Jesus, we got people to see. People are asking where you are, and we can't find him anywhere. And like, I don't know if, like, if you can imagine, you just said yes to being an apprentice of Jesus, and then your master just disappears. And like, oh, did we sign up for somebody who just skipped town? Um, I couldn't imagine. Uh, but then, then we see uh, later, we see in, in Luke chapter 9, he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Mark chapter 6 says that then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. We see this, this progression that happens in the life of Jesus and the disciples. That, that first, Jesus is disappearing to get alone and by himself to rest and to recharge. And the disciples are like, where did this guy go? But then eventually he begins to call them and say, hey, come with me. Let's go, let's go up to the mountain to pray. Hey, let's get away to a quiet, solitary place so that we can rest and be by ourselves. With the idea in mind that Jesus knows he's not going to be with them forever. And he knows that if you don't learn how to do this, if, if you don't learn this rhythm and this pattern, then you're not going to, you're, you're going to burn out. You're not going to be able to keep going. Um, and so as we look at this pattern that we see in the life of Jesus, uh, we now go from this place of, looking at how he did it, and now looking at our own lives. And we take inventory of, as we see, this, is, this was a rhythm and a pattern in Jesus' life, and is this a rhythm or a pattern that we see in our own lives? And actually, honestly, that's probably one of the best ways to grow in our discipleship and our apprenticeship of Jesus, is to look at the life of Jesus and see, hey, is what I'm doing following that pattern and that rhythm? And so we, if we look at that, oftentimes we look at our lives and we say, hey, I, I may not be I may not have this pattern and this lifestyle of retreating to get away, to rest, to recharge so that I can live this life. But I love the way that uh, John Tyson, he's pastor of Church of the City in New York, he explains it like this. He, he kind of uses this idea of a, of a battery and like a fully charged battery. And I think that this is really helpful for us to understand how we rest uh, in, 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 our, in our lives and in our culture. That If we look at a fully charged battery being life to the fullest, as Jesus describes it in John 10, that he came to me, we may have life and life to the fullest, that it's not just like, it's not saying that, hey, everything in your life is gonna be great all the time, but what it's saying is that you're gonna live out of a place of overflow, of fullness, uh, of seeing the fruit of the spirit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, that's an overflow coming out of us, um, that we would have margin, that we would have all this place to live out of, and that if that's life to the fullest, uh, then that's what fully charged looks like. But for most of us, including me, this is, this is when we rest, is when we get to this point, okay? Once we get down to the point where we are running out of steam, where we're tired, where we're exhausted, where we can see early signs of what's going on in us, that's when we all of a sudden take the time that we need to pull away and to rest. Now, what the problem with this is, is that uh, we get to this point, we recharge, we get away, we f do whatever we need to do to start to rest. But when we recharge, this is how we, we normally recover. We, we usually get back up to about this point, and then we re-engage into our life and what we're doing. Like we're, we're, we're enough that it, we're, it's manageable, we're able to function again, and we jump back into the pace of life that we were at before. And what happens is this, is as we don't, as we don't get fully charged, I love the way John Tyson explains this. He says, the things that we lose are joy, peace, 
intimacy, sustainability, that, that we lose having living out of a place of calling and living out of a place of overflow. We lose having margin to live and to function and give people what they need. We lose margin to give our kids what we need whenever they're having a hard day because we don't have it ourselves. We lose margin to respond to a coworker or to a boss in a way that is still loving in the way Jesus would have us love them whenever we don't have it ourselves. That we're missing something because we're only resting up to a certain point. Now, part of the problem for me, uh, and I think for a lot of us, is not understanding the difference between uh, relaxation and renewal. I think that, um, that we understand this idea, and I think that when we don't understand it fully, what it causes is us for us to not fully recharge. And so, relax, when you think relaxation, a, a very relaxing day for me would be, for instance, if I woke up and I went down to the basement and I turned on a show for my kids and I made sure that that thing was on autoplay and I just kept playing shows all day long for my kids, right? And so they're watching TV and so I go upstairs and I lay down on the couch and I turn on The Office and I just watch The Office all day long, right? Then at the end of the day, you know, I don't want to make dinner so I'm going to take the boys to Burger King and we'll call it even, right? That is an incredibly relaxing day for me. But it is not renewing. Renewing is refilling what's been given out all week long. It's recharging and giving us what we need so that we can keep going. Um, uh, a good example that I've seen uh, for me in this is that uh, we, uh, uh, is, is the show The Chosen. This is kind of where I've hit it. I know many of you love The Chosen. We love the show The Chosen. If you're wanting to be an apprentice of Jesus, there are a few better things to look at the lifestyle of Jesus and understand that context. Um, so it's this incredible show, and it's so cool. Uh, but if I'm going to be completely honest with you, okay, uh, that as a pastor, uh, I have found that when I hit my day off and I want to rest, I had some sort of resistance to watching a show about Jesus in my time off. And I don't know exactly what it is. I don't know if, it's, if it means I need to get saved or if it means... <laughs> Or if it means the fact that really whenever I'm that tired, it's, it, it feels like I'm going to have to engage a lot. It feels like I'm going to really have to pay attention. And really all I have margin for right now is numbing out. All I really need to do is just relax and to just watch something that I don't have to really pay attention to so that I can rest. It's this idea that we don't do what we know we need when we're that tired. We don't do the things that we know are going to give us rest and renewal and recharging. But I'm here today to just essentially kind of maybe address what so many of us are experiencing and what I've experienced for a while now um, and offer hope. This is a message that is not, that is, that is a message of hope and of freedom and of renewal. And I don't think it comes by just starting and shifting our thinking from relaxation to renewal and just trying really, really hard to start renewing ourselves. I think it comes from uh, recognizing that there is a better way. Recognizing that, that the way of Jesus is a better way of life than the way that we want to build it ourselves. And if you're taking notes, and really, this is the thing I really want you to understand this morning, is that the way of Jesus is grounded in rest. The pattern we see in the life of Jesus and the lifestyle of Jesus is grounded in rest that gave the margin and the renewal to walk that way. So today what I want to do is I want to give you some next steps. I want to give you some, like, where to go from here. Um, and I'm going to be honest, some of you here today, um, you are in the same spot that I was in. 
And really the most spiritual thing that you can do this week is take a nap. And for a lot of you, this just became your favorite sermon that you've ever heard, right? (laughs) You're like, if that's what I have to do to follow Jesus, count me in. But for others of you, you might be at the boat where you're like, yo, you just got me excited. Um, I, I, need, I need something a little bit more substantial. Do you have anything for me? And so, and I do. Uh, this has kind of been my journey, and I want to share with you a couple of the practices from Jesus that I feel like have really begun to shift this in my life, to become an apprentice of him and experience rest and wholeness and rest for my soul. So, The question that we have to ask is how do we begin to practice the way of Jesus? How do we begin to start to prioritize rest in our lives? And I have two practices I want to show you. uh, And and they're a weekly Sabbath and retreating to silence and solitude. And um, these have both been huge things for me that I really had no experience in before. Um, But let me just start with Sabbath. And and, and I I guess I'll say this. I have a lot I want to say today and and not nearly enough time. Um, So... I want to introduce you to some things that have been a journey and a process for me, and I want to introduce you to something that, uh, to resources that I found. So if you're saying, hey, I want more, I want to know kind of the research and the journey, um, just send me an email. You can go to our website and find my email. Just email me, and I want to send you everything that I have watched and learned and read and listened to because it's been so impactful. But Sabbath is one that I've misunderstood probably the most. Um, because Sabbath for me, I, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my grandpa was a pastor. And um, what Sabbath really meant for me growing up is that I wasn't allowed to mow the grass on Sundays. That, that was what Sabbath was. And, and my grandpa was like adamant about it. I was like, Grandpa, I'm going to go mow the grass. He's like, no, the neighbors might see you. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, um, but I've grown in my understanding of what it is. Maybe, you, maybe it's new to you. It's a new idea. But this is, I love the way that uh, Pete Scazzaro, he's the pastor and author of Emotional Healthy Spirituality. He explains it like this. And, and this guy is, is awesome. Um, he, first of all, he's a pastor in Queens. So this is not some guy living out in the middle of nowhere telling you to take a day off. This is a guy living in New York City who is finding what it looks like to follow Jesus in our, in our culture and in our society. It says this. It says the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word that means to cease or to stop working. It refers to doing nothing related to work for a 24-hour period each week. It refers to this unit of time around which we are to reorient our entire lives as holy, meaning separate or cut above the other six days. Sabbath provides us now an additional rhythm for an entire reorientation of our lives around the living God. On Sabbath, we imitate God by stopping our work and resting. It's the day off that all of us know that we need, but it's so much more. It's a day to do what renews us and to what gives us life. A day each week to set some healthy boundaries that allow us to recharge and to renew. For me, and what I think a lot of us, what what it could look like is, uh, it's become a day where I don't check my email. It's become a day where I kind of separate myself from my phone. A day where I I start to lay down my title as an undercover workaholic and allow myself some time to get the rest that I need to run hard for the next six days. When I first encountered this, it really sounded almost impossible to me um, to, to really do that and to separate it. And it's crazy because what, what studies show is that if we, when we even just start to think about work, um, it can produce the same amount of stress that actually doing that work does. And I've had to separate and create some really hard boundaries for me to, to create some space and to create some room. Um, but I'll just say this, I have found so much freedom in taking on this practice and practice is, is my favorite word for this because we don't just start something new, start a new habit or a new discipline, and we just arrived. We, we all of a sudden have made it, but it takes practice. And so um, 
I, I have learned to take a day and to do what relaxes and what renews me. Yesterday, I played a lot of football with the boys. I have two little boys, so resting with two boys still means that diapers are involved and still means that I have to get down on the floor and play. But it, I'm present, and I'm not trying to, to dodge at other things and get back to what, is, what I'm making more important by, by doing, making those the priority. Um, it's a day to stop, to cease, to rest, um, and I, and I want to say this, too, um, because I don't know what your background is and what you've come from, but uh, it's not, I, I want to give you an invitation to Sabbath in a way that's not legalism, that's not just more rules to follow or more things to do, because maybe if you've grown up with this, maybe you have the, these ties to it that seem very like, it's one more rule to follow, it's one more thing that you're not doing to feel shame about. And I really just want to extend it to you as an invitation to a vision of something more, a vision of, of a way that God is leading us to live and to follow his example, to follow the example of, of all those in the Old Testament and follow the example of Jesus and take a day that is devoted to rest and to ceasing and to being with him. Um, so yeah, I spent the day yesterday playing football with the boys and I napped. And so, um, which, is, which is, I've come a long way. Uh, uh, but it was really, it's really, I want to encourage you to, to look into it and start uh, that practice. But the second thing I want to introduce you to today is uh, the practice of silence and solitude. Um, I love the way that John Mark Comer uh, defines this, and he says, intentional time alone in the quiet to be with yourself and God. It's intentional time alone in the quiet to be with yourself and God. And uh, if you know me, you know, and maybe you probably don't even know me to know this, but I, I, I'm, I'm an extrovert. Um, I like people. This is only one cup of coffee today. Uh, the next service will get the second cup, and so they'll, they'll get the, you know, the no, no, another level. Um, but this is like, I, I want to live my life in a way that is, I, I'm, I'm constantly looking for people and other things. And um, uh, so this right here was like my worst nightmare, okay? This was like the worst po possible thing, and so I avoided it for a, for a while. Most of you introverts who are, who are listening are like, finally, somebody is talking about what I wanted to hear about, right? Um, and they're not, they're not amening me out loud, but they're doing it in their notes right now, right? <laughs> but I, have, uh, I always have something on. I'm always listening to something or watching something or listening to a podcast or just listening to music, having something going. And what I found by doing that is I don't give almost any space to feel what's directly beneath the surface. I'm always putting something else in and I'm not feeling what I'm experiencing. That uh, I, it really kind of hit a wall for me where I began to realize, honestly, for me, it was like a lack of emotional intelligence. It was a lack of being able to share what I'm actually feeling or what I'm actually doing. And things were, were beginning to wreak havoc. And I love the way that Ruth Haley Barton in her book, An Invitation to Solitude and Silence, describes this. She says, our, job, our, jar, our, our lives are like a jar filled with river water. And we need to sit still long enough to let things settle. And that picture was so powerful for me because in, in my life where I just keep moving and keep moving and keep moving and don't slow down, it never gives time for things to settle and see what's going on. So where it started for me is I started taking 10 minutes in the morning to just breathe and to just not to read my Bible, not to pray, but just breathe. And what it happened at first, I felt like, I don't know what, why I'm doing this. Um, and then what happened is I began to grow into this place of self-awareness. I began to recognize the conversations I was having in my head with other people and, and the things I did not realize that were between me and them that I wasn't dealing with. I began to recognize what I was feeling and what I was processing. 
And I began to, to see a way towards healing and to wholeness in that. And um, it has, I, I'll say this, it was the one I avoided and I thought had the least bearing on my apprenticeship to Jesus. And it's probably been one of the ones that has had the, one of the greatest effects in my life. And so um, if, you're, if, it's, if it's foreign to you, if it's not something that you are familiar with, um, I encourage you to lean into quiet time in our lives uh, and find the healing that that brings. So in closing, uh, I want to just kind of share one more thing with you. And because I think that, and it's just one more story that Jesus shares in Matthew 13. Um, because I know that probably part of you as you're listening to this is it is really speaking to you in a way that's saying, man, I, I, I want some of that wholeness. I want some of that freedom. Man, a rest sounds really, really good. Um, and, um, but I know that there's probably a little bit more deeply, there's a part of you that is feeling tired, um, but the weight of this is pretty hard to, to move through. That the weight of saying, hey, I'm going to take a day to, to be able to separate things um, is one that sounds probably nearly impossible with the pace that you run at or the way that you live or the culture around you or whatever. And it, the, you're feeling even the weight of that now. Um, and Jesus shares this one verse in Matthew 13 that I think is just so, such a powerful picture of where we're going. It says in Matthew 13, verse 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. It's this idea, and we can probably follow the, the idea that he's alluding to here, but in, in that time that if you had money, it probably was in, in the form of gold, and you didn't go and put that gold in a bank, you probably buried it on your property in a, in a place that it would be safe and other people didn't know where to find it. But if something were to happen to you or you were to die and nobody knew where you'd stashed your treasure, then it could be lost forever. So Jesus illustrates this story of a man walking through a field that's for sale, and as he's walking through the field, he just sees this little glint of gold sticking out, out of the dirt. And so he runs over and he digs it up and he finds just this enormous treasure buried there in the dirt. So he covers it back up, he runs home, and he sells everything he owns to, to, to get enough to go and buy that field and then gain the treasure. And what happens in this is that he had to, he had to go back and he had to part ways with some things. It, it, it had, there was a cost associated with giving up what he'd had before. But what he got in return, what he got on the other side of it was so much better. What he got as he, as he began to, to, to give his life to that, it was, it was so much better. And it's a parallel to what we see in our lives. That Jesus is inviting each of us to say, I've got something better for you. I've got a way of life that produces rest for your soul that produces something so much better. And it's this idea that there is a cost associated with parting ways with things. There is a cost associated with doing life differently than we've done it before, but it's one that's, that's so worth it. It's so worth it. It's one that I've experienced that as I begin to yield to what I want to do and yield to what Jesus is leading me in, that I'm experiencing life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer coined the phrase in his book, the cost of discipleship, that there is a cost with following Jesus. But I think that we have to take inventory to recognize the fact that there's also a cost associated not with following Jesus. There's a cost associated with living life our own way, building our life on our own ideas and our own ideals and saying that this is how we want to do it. And there's a cost associated with that and it's catching up to us. And Jesus' invitation is to come to me, recover your life, find rest for your soul. 